Welcome to the KPMG Tax Now podcast. Australia's hybrid mismatch rules have been in place for almost a year now. And broadly, the principle of the rules is I pay tax because someone else doesn't pay tax. But wrapped up in this simple concept is some complexity. Hello, my name is Jenny Wong. I'm a director in KPMG's Economics and Tax Centre. Today, we'll be exploring the hybrid mismatch rules with our experts and what it all means for large business. With me today to discuss the hybrid mismatch rules is Peter Madden, a KPMG international tax partner, and Paul Sorrell, a KPMG partner in corporate tax. Now, in the past few weeks, we've got together and talk about the ATO's new disclosures on the hybrid mismatch rules um, in relation to the international dealing schedule 2019. And I thought it would be good if we can drill down into some of the more practical issues we have been seeing with our clients in applying the hybrid mismatch rules. First to you, Peter. Now, Australia's implemented a comprehensive set of hybrid rules um, that some say are more onerous than the OECD BEPS requirements. Could you tell us about Australia's anti-hybrid legislation? What do they do? Who do they apply to? And when do the rules apply from? The most important point, we're an early adopter of these rules. So our rules are effective uh, for many companies from 1 January uh, 2019, which is probably a year earlier than a lot of um, other major jurisdictions, especially the EU. So we've adopted a comprehensive um, uh, set of rules based on the OECD action point, and our rules uh, are crafted specifically to Australia and are quite wide-ranging. We cover all the possible mismatches which are identified in the the OECD original report. Uh, And what we're finding is that uh, some of the parts of it, especially what we call the imported mismatch rules, which is uh, a feature of the anti-hybrid rules to say that even though you're making a quite a vanilla payment from Australia, maybe the purchase of cost of goods sold or payment of interest or payment of royalties, if it's paid to an entity in a global group and there is what we call a hybrid in that group and that payment is used to fund that hybrid, uh, Australia has implemented rules to say that we need to neutralise that hybrid even though it has no adverse effect on Australia. So uh, the the ambit of these provisions are extremely wide uh, and that's why taxpayers really have to uh, investigate their whole supply chain to see if there's any hybrids in the whole um, uh, controlled group or the whole group of companies which um, Australian companies may be part of. And when do they apply from, Peter? Uh, 1 January 2019 uh, or other taxpayers 1 uh, July 2019. And Paul, do you know what other countries have adopted the hybrid mismatch rules and why Australia's rules are considered the most far-reaching? Yeah, look, as, as Peter mentioned, the um, Australia is one of the early adopters. So um, we've got, you know, uh, I guess we've, we've led the way on that one. But the UK, New Zealand have also introduced their rules. I think UK was early 17 and New Zealand was mid-18 and Australia, as Peter mentioned, is sort of 19 onwards. Um, so in one sense, yeah, look, we, we are one of the early adopters uh, on the global landscape. But in terms of the differences, one of the key differences is that Australia has also rammed in um, the what's called an, uh, an integrity measure rule, uh, which is a kind of quasi-hybrid concept. So just explain that a little bit. What it is is... Um, a situation where there's direct uh, loans 
into Australia from a, what's called a low-tax jurisdiction, which is 10% um, or less tax um, in the first instance, but also potentially tracing through back-to-back -back up the line to ultimately some sort of low-tax mm -hmm. jurisdiction. So that's a plain vanilla loan. Um, it's not a hybrid, but it's, it has the features, I guess, or the, the sort of the, uh, the effectiveness of a hybrid. Um, and so that's kind of broader than, than some of the other jurisdictions so far. Now, Paul, you've also come across an issue in relation to the hybrids disclosures um, in the new International Dealing Schedule 2019, affecting early balancer um, 31 December corporate taxpayers. Could you talk through what these IDS schedules or IDS disclosures are and um, what a corporate taxpayer should be disclosing? Sure. Yeah. So this is quite interesting, uh, Jenny, because um, as Peter mentioned, Australia's rules, just to sort of recap for a minute, they apply to tax years beginning on or after 1 January 19. However, um, right now, in particular, we're in the middle of doing uh, December 18 tax filings, which is the 2019 tax year. Um, so the rules don't apply to the, uh, you know, December 18 year. Uh, they apply after that. But nonetheless, the tax office did um, include some additional disclosures in the new um, international dealing sh schedule section G. They've added an entirely new section where you've got to deal with these new hybrid mismatch rules. Um, and after some uh, dialogue with the ATO to clarify the, the, the scope of those questions, what has um, been uh, communicated is that the uh, ATO does expect uh, question 49 to be answered um, applying the rules hypothetically looking back uh, two years. So that's the essentially all the way back to 1 January 17 in the case of a December 18 year end. So um, that means for current filings and, and going forward for other uh, 19 filings, there is this need to look at um, the rules hypothetically backwards to see if um, uh, there would have been a hybrid mismatch in place, despite the fact that the rules haven't applied, and then potentially there may be some work and disclosures as a consequence, consequence of that. Peter, what's your experience been with clients in relation to the hybrid um, disclosures in the IDS schedules? Well, it's probably the first time it's really focused them on identifying whether they have had a hybrid or will have a hybrid after the, um, uh, the introduction date. So it, it has caused a lot of concern with clients because now they're realising that there may be an issue. And um, I did talk earlier on the imported mismatch uh, provisions because they're not the obvious hybrid risks as the Australian uh, tax uh, controllers of these companies have often not much visibility on what uh, the whole um, uh, financial arrangements up the chain are, like what their immediate holding company, whether it has a hybrid with its uh, further holding company. So it's triggered an investigation by the, the people responsible for, for lodging the Australian tax returns to investigate whether it, within the corporate group there are any hybrids and whether that has adverse implications on Australia. So it's really sort of switched the light switch on to say this is an issue that has to be dealt with. Um, uh, whereas previously that um, a lot of um, tax folk in Australia really just focused on direct hybrids. Does the Australian entity have a hybrid arrangement? Most of those have been identified and largely dealt with, but it's the imported mismatch and, and probably the integrity rule are the ones that um, people haven't been so aware of and are now really focusing on. Peter, what sort of guidance material has the ATO issued to date on the hybrid rules and what have been the issues or traps that clients need to watch out for? They've issued a 
a couple. The one very relevant one was that uh, they said that they expected taxpayers to reach who were caught by the hybrid rules or were going to be caught by the hybrid rules were allowed to restructure out of that arrangement. You know, potentially it could have been regarded as anti-avoidance because you're structuring uh, your arrangement in to ensure that you continue to get a deduction. Whereas the tax officers said, if you're structuring something to a sort of a vanilla transaction, there's no sort of anti-avoidance with the new transaction you're going into, they will consider that's appropriate and won't uh, seek to apply the general anti-avoidance on the restructure, which is a welcome, welcome a fact that you like, you know, we all believe that that could never be something that you'd apply part for A to, but it just takes that issue off the table. The other one they've issued on uh, guidance on is what constitutes a structured arrangement. It is relevant because you know, many of the hybrid arrangements only uh, only apply, or the hybrid provisions only apply where you have a structured arrangement. In the case of imported mismatches, the start of the rules. Uh, if it's a structured arrangement, it starts at 1 January uh, 2019, but if it's not a structured arrangement, it can be deferred for one year, and that's quite important because that matches the introduction of anti-hybrid rules in, say, the EU. Uh, unfortunately, the tax office has taken a fairly wide view of what a structured arrangement is, and for instance, if it is in a wholly owned group and there is a hybrid, the, the the fact that Australia is paying, say, purchasing goods from an overseas entity and that entity has a hybrid with another entity in the group, they'll say that that's a structured arrangement because the whole group was in control of the whole supply chain, so everything's a structured arrangement. In my view, far too wide because everything's a structured arrangement in, in that view. But so, uh, that, so that's sort of limitation of the guidance. They do take fairly conservative positions and really... Um, don't you know, deal with the grey areas as well as I'd like. Peter and Paul, have you um, been involved in many private binding ruling requests or early engagements with the ATO and what type of issues may have been raised in these rulings? Yeah, well, we have spoken to the ta tax office quite regularly over the, the period that uh, this legislation was coming in, into play and, and, and the application. There is a, sp a special unit of the tax office dealing with hybrids based in Melbourne. Uh, we haven't taken any specific client um, issues to them yet, yet though they, they would like that to be the case. We've just discussed these issues on a more general uh, factor because there are a lot of issues to, to be to be dealt with by the, by the tax office and they're encouraging taxpayers to to seek um, uh, individual guidance uh, for, for in relation to the application of these these new laws now I understand the ATO is also working on more guidance for taxpayers in relation to specific issues on hybrid mismatch rules and specifically how they interact with the foreign tax laws Peter I was just wondering if you could discuss what these issues might be? Well, one quite relevant issue is the um, application of the US guilty rules because our hybrid rules won't apply if um, uh, the, the amount is taxed in similar to the way our CFC rules apply if the parent company has to return that income. And the US has introduced a, a, a tax provisions called the guilty provisions which effectively bring into account all income uh, 
earned by their foreign subsidiaries as taxable in the US parent, but it's taxed at a very concessional rate, like half, effectively half the rate. And there's a big question what, whether that operated to say that the income of the foreign subsidiary was subject to tax in the US. So we've had some verbal indications of where the tax office views on that, but we are waiting for more detailed um, uh, analysis and, and application by that from the tax office. Um, and there are a number of other issues certainly concerning uh, the, the US payments in consol US consolidated uh, groups, whether those payments uh, would, would trigger adverse effects under our uh, anti-hybrid rules. Paul and Peter, what advice are you giving on what corporate groups should be doing in relation to this new anti-hybrid legislation? Yeah, look, I think, um, again, just picking up something that Peter said a moment ago, uh, the, the fact that the, um, there are new disclosures um, that are having to be completed with kind of retrospective effect has really focused the mind um, once and for all with a lot of um, the corporates that are affected uh, you know, with the immediate filing deadline. So that experience really um, is, a, is a strong reminder for everyone to, to prioritise these rules and to get into them. Um, in the, the, the journey thus far for those that have this immediate filing obligation, um, it's quite a high percentage of um, corporates that do actually have something to think about and deal with. Um, and um, the breadth of the rules um, and, and the complexity makes that quite challenging. And there's, there's the need to have time and the opportunity to, uh, to reach into the global group, um, to get the data and then to, to analyze it. So. Um, the experience, you know, in, in the current moment is that really um, everyone should, should really focus on this and put the resources into it and, and, and get on with um, analysing them um, because the, the disclosures um, are, are there and, 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 and gradually everyone else will have to deal with them. But also the rules are live, you know, um, as we speak. Okay. Yeah. So um, that's really, I think, a key message and a key takeaway from the current experience. Yeah. And it's surprising the... the number of instances these, these rules could apply to and, and clients felt that they were aware of them but you know the more you dig in there's instances where oh actually that's a hybrid we have you know you might have a payments made to a Swiss branch and that Swiss branch is, is not paying any tax so you have a hybrid mis, uh, branch mismatch uh, so they're not obvious hybrids and um, you really have to analyze you know all payments going from Australia and and where those payments go from to ultimately to the, the head company to really be assured that uh, the, the hybrid rules don't apply to any payments made by the Australian subsidiary. And the targeted integrity rule, many people being yeah. subject to that and... Yeah, look, absolutely. And I think a, a classic example is a cash pooling arrangement that's not that unusual, frankly, in a global group. Um, and that does... Um, potentially attract the attention of that, that rule and then, then there's the need to then look into that arrangement to see in if in fact it does apply. So that's um, one that has come up very common, uh, very often actually. Um, the US check the box selection is another classic example of where um, we're finding that there's some, some need to uh, investigate a little bit further. Um, so there's, there's um, many instances of, of, of very easy um, ordinary type situations that are throwing up uh, uh, some requirement to do some analysis on this. And I think that's the point too, uh, you know, in terms of just adding to some of the experiences here and the approach. Um, because the rules are so broad and it's global, then perhaps uh, what we're finding is the best way is to start at the highest filters and really 
the dialogue um, that might um, enable that is really uh, trying to identify uh, at a conceptual level where you have double deduction outcomes or one-sided deduction outcomes as well as then loans from low tax jurisdictions. That's kind of the highest filter that might initiate a, a better way forward to start to identify where these rules can apply. Um, so again, I think it's it's important to uh, to, 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 to approach it in that way um, and, and get on with things, yeah. That's good advice. I think we'll, we'll wrap it up there. Thank you to our guests, Peter Madden, a KPMG international tax partner, and Paul Sorrell, KPMG partner in corporate tax. My name is Jenny Wong, director in KPMG's Economics and Tax Centre. If you'd like to get in touch, please send us an email to kpmgtaxnow at kpmg.com.au. Register for KPMG Tax Now to access the website and receive regular updates from across the tax industry. Thanks for listening.